Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, we're studying this book as the Apostle Paul has written to us and he's talking about how do we live life here on earth in regards to how the last days are coming. Um, A few months ago, I had a lunch with someone who used to attend our church and uh, had come back into town and was beginning to give me updates and different things. And I told him about the update of how there are churches in China that are so overwhelmed and, and finding themselves having to get on buses to keep from being overtaken from the government. Um, and they find themselves moving around from place to place in the city. And um, how incredible that is that there are people who would give of that time. And, and I remember this person very clearly saying, well, your people at Northside wouldn't do that. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> no, they're, they're only in it during the good times. If things got hard, if things really started to hit the fan with the government, you wouldn't find them. They would say, well, we gave it a good try. So I was talking to this person because I was starting to get, and you understand sometimes I get passionate about things. So I was starting to get a little angry, just saying, how can you begin to judge someone's heart? See, the reality is this is kind of where we find the Apostle Paul talking to the first in this letter to the Thessalonians. He's saying, you've heard the gospel message. Where's your heart? And for him, he looks at the Thessalonians and he rejoices. Because he understands that they have rejoiced in the gospel. And so I want you, as we go through this passage, to kind of be awakened from the perspective of saying, huh, one, where am I? But two, if you are a Christian... Then to think about it from this perspective that we, like Paul, are in a time and an area where we get to share the gospel and we engage in a culture that, listen, highly values tolerance, but does not highly value truth. So what is our calling, along with Paul and the Thessalonians, to preach the gospel to those that would have ears to hear? So hear the word of the Lord this morning. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16 this morning. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and they displeased God and opposed all mankind. How? By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sin, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, allow your word to become alive to us. 
this aren't these are not just stories they're not just plots for tv shows or movies these are real people who lived real lives in the midst of real pain and persecution so father let us go and glean the truths that you want to teach us today and lord i beg you to change us more like our savior jesus christ for it's in his name that we pray amen So we're going to look at two very specific points. We're going to look at how people respond to the word of God. And the first group responds in regards to joy. And so the first thing that Paul talks about is gratitude. Now, again, if we think about this, uh, he's been talking about leaders and how they are to, to be treated, how he talks about their love. He talks about how they have both fatherly characteristics and motherly characteristics. They're supposed to be gentle, but they're also supposed to be challenging. And so what happens is as he begins to move from leaders, he begins to talk about those who are followers. And so he has gratitude for the Thessalonians. And so think about this. If you were a leader, you were there to call, to teach, but you're also there to care for people if you're a good leader. You don't want to just have a coach or a leader who is overbearing or who only cares about the outcome. You want to know that someone cares for you, that they're there to discipline you to good things. But the only way that happens is if the followers do what they're told. They have to listen and then put it into practice. Again, as a high school football coach, many times um, I had the offense and defensive line. And one of the biggest things that kids would do is they would stand up. And I would say, you need to stay low. Okay, coach. Okay, coach. All right, stay low. All right, now hit. Now, nope, nope. You stood up. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Look, you got pushed over. You got to stay low. Okay, coach. Okay, coach. All right, now hit. All right, you stood up again. No, I didn't, coach. Yes, you did. If you stay low, you're going to win the battle. So it's the kids that finally listen and put it into practice are the ones that make it a joy, right? So it's the same thing with what's going on here for Paul and the Thessalonians. He's saying, hey, I I thank God I have such gratitude because you all have heard my teaching, but you've put it into practice as well. And so they've heard, first of all, they've heard the word. Now, again, he says, you didn't hear the word like it was from men. And remind yourselves, again, this is Thessalonica, and this is on a very big trade road. Okay, so people are coming in all the time. There's a port that's connected to it. So they get to hear all of man's wisdom, all of the rhetoric. Every time they turn around, somebody's coming in with a new idea. They, They get the latest and the greatest of all things. So you have to begin to ask yourself, why... Was Paul's message different? I mean, again, they live in a society like ours where it is coexist. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. Listen, the cynics are out from Barna right now. The millennial beliefs, as a, not as our people, don't start yelling our, don't go up to a millennial and go, you horrible generation. No. Millennials as a whole, though, believe this statement. They think it is wrong to try to go and tell someone the gospel message if they are of another religion. They think it's wrong. This is where the Thessalonians were. Who are you to tell me what truth is? Just tell me what you believe and go on your way. 
And Paul goes to them and he says, I am bringing to you not just man's knowledge, not just rhetoric. I'm bringing you the word of God. Now, some people look at that and, and there's an illustration that's out there saying, if you have the sun and that's the word of God and it comes through a cathedral stained glass windows, then what you have is you have something that's other than God's word. And so you can't trust what God has given to us, right? Well, here's the great retort that one of the Bible teachers said. He said that would be true if you didn't remember who built the cathedral. See, the reality in regards to God's word, we understand it because of it's the inspiration that God gives to us. He doesn't give to us just ideas. He gives to us his word. It's why Luther at the Diet of Worms stood before the council and before the rulers, the people who could put him to death. And he said, I, if, if I can't find it in scripture, then I'm going to have to die. But I'm not going to listen to man because men make mistakes. Men err, but God doesn't. And so the inspiration that comes to the scripture, we call it plenary verbal inspiration. Every word. It's not just ideas. It's every word. It's This is a hill to die on, people. When people start coming and saying, well, you find the word of God within the scripture. No, all of scripture is God's word. I want you to put these to memory. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And then also, memorize this one. 2 Peter 1, 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who through man comes and gives us the word of God. And how do we know that? Because we have that same Holy Spirit. We have that same Holy Spirit. So if you are a Christian, you know within the very core of your heart that when you read the word, there is something different. It's alive. It's living. It's why we can go back to it and read it year after year, month after month. And we go back and we can say, well, that wasn't there before. There's always something new. God's always teaching us. Why? Because it's always active and it's the word of God. And so our understanding of him, he, our understanding of who he is gets bigger. And so it's that reality that, again, we go because of the word, and it is God's word, not man's word. And when that happens, it begins to change us, not just by our heads, but also in work. That's what Paul says. You've been working this out. And so there's this reality that, again, we hear the word, but there has to be an outworking of how it affects us. See, the first thing we need to do is we need to come as expected in a praying congregation. You should be praying, God, I want you to so move in Pastor Jeff that it upsets my whole life. It changes who I am. Again, the, the question should be, why am I coming? If, if you don't, if you're not hearing the word of God, don't waste your time. And I say that with all truth. Pastor Jeff, do you understand what you're saying? You're telling me that if I don't believe that this is truly the word of God to me, that you're okay with me going to the beach. You're okay with me going to whatever games that are out there. You're willing for me to do whatever. Yes, I am. 
Do you understand that you're going to be fired? You're not going to have any money anymore. I don't care. I cannot help but preach the truth. And so the reality is, as we ask the question, why do we come? We come because we come expect to be changed by the word. Alistair Begg gives this quote. He says, if we come and we hear truth and it's not softened by love, well, then it becomes too hard. But if we love and it's not hardened by the truth, then it becomes soft. It's got to be both. We have to have the truth, but it's got to be done in love. And so what happens is when we come, Jesus says this, I came that you might bear much fruit. And again, this was very life-changing for me as I'm reading through a Tim Keller book. And he makes the distinction of how, how do you know if your ministry is successful? And he says, a lot of times people in today's day and age says, well, if you're successful, if you have lots of people. Because everything has to be about growing. So if you're growing and if I have great illustrations and you like me and you like listening to me, then you'll come and you'll invite your friends. And if we continue to grow and we plant churches, well, then I will be successful, right? Well, then there's the opposite extreme that says, no, it's, it's not about, it's not about numbers. It's about being faithful to the scripture. So as long as I stand up here and preach the word week in and week out, then I can go home and say, I've been faithful to the scripture, so it doesn't matter whether we grow or not grow. Well, that's a lie too. See, the reality is, is what God says, what Jesus says, what the Bible says, is he says, you know how you're successful in ministry? When you look at the people and say, are they bearing fruit? Now, what is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control taking care of the poor. So the question I have to ask is, by the way that I come and I preach the gospel, the way that I teach you, are you being changed in such a way that you go out and you do these things? Are you more patient with the people that are around you? Are you more loving with the people that are around you? Do you show joy? Do you seek peace? How are you growing? How are you doing ministry? Because what was happening was the Thessalonians, they were allowing their minds to be transformed by the word. And so their theology became fruitfulness. And when the fruitfulness comes, listen, we of all people need to hear this. Why? Because you know what the reality is, is that most people in our day and age, and especially within the the greater kingdom, especially of the, the Western society, most people really believe that they don't need to be saved from anything. I remember speaking to a teenager very clearly, and so we were talking about the gospel, and he said, and I think he was definitely speaking his heart, and he was speaking the truth. He's just like, Pastor Jeff, I I hear what you're saying, but what do I need to be saved from? I said, well, don't you understand that you're a sinner? I'm not bad. Do do you understand that you're, you're supposed to give everything to Christ? That doesn't make sense. My parents make a good living. I'm going to go to a good college. I have everything that I need, and I'm not a bad person. I don't need Jesus. That's where we are. And so the Apostle Paul is telling us to go out and to preach God's word with power. And when we preach it with power, it begins to change people, and they begin to bear fruit. And when that happens, that means that there's a transformation that is taking place. Now, again, here's the reality. I believe that at this point in the gospel, Paul is thinking that their faith has faltered. Remember, Paul has gone to Thessalonica, preached the gospel. He's only really been there up to maybe three weeks to plant this church. Then he's removed by persecution. He's down the road 
Okay? He's wondering, hey, these people heard the gospel, but are they being discipled? So if you're of the Baptist persuasion and stuff like that, they said the prayer. So what's going on now? So it's the, the understanding is, hey, they get that Jesus is, can be their savior, but do they understand that Jesus is supposed to be their Lord? So he begins to think, hey, well, maybe their faith is faltered, and he starts to get fearful. He's worried about the people. So he sends back Timothy. Hey, go back. We need to see how they're doing. And yet the reality is, you know what? His fears are proved to be unfounded. Those people who said the prayer are living it out because they are enduring the persecution. They're leaving it out in such a way. And again, what do they do? They found discipleship. Listen, the greatest thing that you can do is look for a good example Who is someone around you that you look to and go, ah, these people are living out the gospel. I know that there are Christians. So what's different about them? So the reason should be that you see those people, then you go and ask them, hey, tell me about how you do discipleship. Then start meeting with them. And you know what you do? Then once you've done with that, then you've arrived. No, you start discipling other people. You take them through the book. You teach them how to study the word. It's never ending. And I can tell you this from experience. Every time that I take someone new through the discipleship class and I use disciplines of a godly man, I am way better at home. My wife loves it when I go through that book. Why? Because it reminds me of how much I don't measure up. My kids love it when I get to the chapter of how do you love your family. They all get bought something special. I'm constantly being re, re fixed, re transformed to what Jesus is doing. It's the same for the Thessalonians. So even their own countrymen are attacking them. But listen, Ligon Duncan says this about this. The gospel for them has become so real in their lives that they're what? Willing to bleed for it. That's where the Thessalonians is. They so believe the gospel. They really believe that it's the word of God coming to them. That they're willing to stand in persecution. And when you're willing to stand in persecution. And again it might not be for us in blood. We don't live in a a day and an age where that is. But it sure does make sense when you start to change who you are. Because you're scared of the people around you. I'm not going to say that because they'll think I'm weird. Or I'll wait to see if there's any other Christians in this area and then maybe I'll say something about Jesus. I can't say anything about Jesus at work. I could get fired. I live next to these people. I can't say anything to them. See, the calling is to go forth and to preach the gospel to all people and then let God work it out. And what happened is that Thessalonians were so overwhelmed by it that they started to work out their faith. They started to labor from love. They started to endure because of hope. They endured the persecution. And they kept living. Why? Because it was the truth. They finally had heard the truth. But there's another side of the coin, isn't there? Because when people, sometimes people hear the gospel and they respond to the word by becoming angry. Wrath upset see they are persecuting those around them and again this is a passage this is truly one of the passages that people come to and now you will be um, ready to defend this where people come and they reject christianity on this passage because they say that what paul is doing here is he is an anti-semite 
He hates Jewish people. He's attacking Jewish people, and you can't do that in today's day and age. Now again, what we have to understand is there's a difference between um, being against someone's theology and being against someone's race. So the thing we have to do is to say, okay, what was Paul against? First thing I want you to understand is that Paul had a love for the Jews. How much do, how do I know that and how much? Turn in your Bibles real quickly to Romans chapter 9. Starting at verse 1, Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Now listen to what Paul has to say. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. And I have great sorrow and an unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. For they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from them the race, according to the flesh, is the, that of Christ, who is God over all. So they are blessed forever. Amen. Paul so loves the Jewish people that he makes a statement, I would rather, listen, go to hell than for the Jewish people to be unsaved. Have you ever said that about anyone except maybe a family member? Now, I'm a pastor. I get paid to be holy. There is one person in all of my ministry out of 30 years of doing full-time ministry that I've ever said the prayer, God, damn me to hell to save this person. One. Paul comes in and says... God, send me to hell so the Jewish people might be saved. And he says it in such a way that he says, all you kids who grew up in Christian homes and you whine and complain about, I don't get to live life. My life's so boring. I've got a horrible um, testimony. Those of us that were truly jerks, And did a lot of bad things. Wish we could go back and change it. I wish I could say I grew up in a Christian home. I came to faith through Christian parents. I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart my whole life. And that is my greatest joy and hope. I don't need to kill someone. I don't need to become a drunkard. I don't need to do anything to make my testimony for God to become something amazing. Paul is speaking about people who grew up in Jewish homes who knew about the Messiah. And he said, it is my greatest pleasure that they might know the Lord Jesus Christ. So he goes on and he says, but these people are about killing the messengers. So he says, They killed Jesus. They killed the prophets. They've run off the apostles. It's what Jim read for us in Matthew 21. It is that scripture reading where it goes in and says, hey, this man came in and he planted the vineyard. And he sent in these servants and they killed the servants. And then he sent more servants and they killed them. Then he sent his son. That's Jesus. Even when the Son of God comes to humans, we are still so angry, we are still so self-centered that we think that we really can rule ourselves. 
And so what happens is we only not hate the messengers, we hate the message. Listen, the Jews so resented, even hated any religion but their own. They hated everyone. And so what do they do? They hate Jesus most of all. Because what does Jesus say? Hey, it's not just about your family anymore. It's not just about Abraham. Hey, it's not just about your nation, Israel. Now everybody gets to be a part of the church. Everybody gets an inheritance. Jews and Gentiles. Well, wait a minute, God. I don't like the Gentiles. So wait a minute. I I thought in in my, when I was going to get my inheritance, I was going to get a big inheritance. But now you're telling me that there's thousands of other people going to get inheritance. Man, that stinks. I want mine. Jesus goes, you don't get it. You'll have everything that you'll ever need and want. And you know what? It's not things. It's Jesus. I mean, that's that's a frustration for me sometimes. And I'm not saying it's not bad to think, oh, well, grandma's going to be there in heaven. And I'll see Uncle Joe and Aunt Susie. And, you know, all these people are going to be in heaven. I'm going to spend time. If you're a Christian, you're not going to care. You're going to say, where's Jesus? Where is he? That's my savior. Uncle Joe, get out of the way. Get away from me for a few minutes. I want to see Jesus. That's the truth. That's the gospel. And so this message becomes a part of us, but yet these people are so hateful. Listen, listen what uh, Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller fame said this, and he is not a Christian. But he said this about Christians who don't go out and talk about Christianity. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and then not tell them? That's from a non-Christian person who looks at Christians and says, I despise you people who don't go out and preach the gospel. Because if you have the truth, then you better tell everybody. So what is he saying? Don't be scared. Listen, not one person in here has a problem sharing pictures and photos of things they love. How many YouTube videos have I had to watch from millennials? This is so funny. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm 16 hours later, I'm still watching YouTube videos. Do we have to be forced to show um, pictures or videos of our kids or our grandkids? No, it's something we love. I want you to be so in love with Jesus that you're just like, let me tell you of the greatest thing. Jesus. So he kills the messenger, he kills the messages, but listen, there is judgment that is coming. And he tells us very clearly, hey, God is patient. And I, and I want you to understand that God is patient and he's long-suffering. Psalm 103 verses 8 and 9 says this, the Lord is merciful and he's gracious. He's slow to anger and he abounds in steadfast love. And he will not always chide nor really keep his anger forever. And this goes on, Psalm 145.8, Nehemiah 9.31, Exodus 34.6, Numbers 14.18, Psalm 86.5. These are all Old Testament passages. This isn't just the New Testament loving Jesus. It's a good thing God is slow to anger. However, there is a limit. There is a limit to God's long suffering. And you know what the reality is? The worst thing that happens is when God gives us over to our own pleasures. Why do you think I pray for our nation? God, don't give us what we deserve. Give us grace. Give us mercy. And so the reality is there's a limit with God. And when God gives to his limit, then there comes his wrath. 
And it says these people, when they've heard the word of God, they've rejected it. So again, it's the the people who go, you know what? I really like Jesus being my savior, but he doesn't have control of my checkbook. He doesn't have control of my time. He doesn't have control of anything. That's all mine. When we don't want God's word to speak into our lives, there's a problem. And so that's where these people were. They were rejecting God's word. They were about hindering the saints. They were trying to stop the people to talk about it. But let me encourage you. At no point does God lose control of the wicked. They're always under his control. And the third thing it said in this passage, it says they heaped. When we get to that verse where it says, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. That reading in the Greek means this. They have heaped up their sins to the limit. So what does that mean? Romans 5, 6 through 11. Hear this. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, listen, much more shall we be saved by him. From what? From the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. But more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we shall now have received reconciliation. God's wrath is there. And so if you are not a Christian, you have, listen, heaped up your sins to the limit. There's nothing to pay for it. Except that Christ gave his perfect life, paid for our sins on the cross, to reconcile to us, to God the Father. So that, listen, if you are a Christian, this world, and I'm not saying there aren't bad things in this world, but listen, this is the only hell you will ever experience. If you are not a Christian, this is the only taste of heaven you will ever experience. Because all that left is the wrath of God. So God in his holiness... And injustice is telling us through the scripture and specifically through Jesus and Paul. He talks about hell. hell. Why? So that we might take it seriously. This world is so short. You're not living for just your 401. You're not just living for your house and your belongings. This means nothing. What are you thinking in the eternity? Listen, again, if you think there's nothing there, go have fun. Don't waste your time here because you don't got much left. Spend it on you. Do everything you want to do. However, if the word of God is true, then what he tells to us is truth, then we better put it into practice. Would Paul say to us these words? I thank God constantly for this, that when you, Northside, received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. That's the hope. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I wish those words are true of us. Lord, that we would hear your word. Lord, that we would, again... 
Allow it to make deep roots into our hearts and to our minds. Lord, for those who have given up reading through the word or haven't picked it up in a long time, Lord, the mercy and grace is that you allow us to go back and you don't judge us. You want us just to come and to spend time with you. And then, Lord, may we not just hear the word, may we not just read the word, but, Lord, may it change our hearts that we might bear good fruit, that it would allow its work to happen through us so that people don't have to ask, are we a Bible-believing church? They would see it lived out among them. Or may we be that beacon of hope and light in the midst of the darkness. And Lord, for sure, make us look more like our Savior today than when we came. For we pray all this in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen.